This is Raspberry Lemonade, the Arnold Palmer of podcasts, a refreshing dive into the stories of industry professionals, both sweet and sour. And now your host, Mr. Levi. Our next guest today is Miguel Ramirez, a.k.a. Mickey Ram from Ram Insulation. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Levi. Nice awesome. to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you, my man. For those of you who don't know out there, I want to just preface this by saying Mickey is my best friend and known him for years. And up until recently, you know, I've started to understand why him being an entrepreneur is so important to him. Mickey, tell us about your business. Okay, so uh, I'm a residential, commercial, and industrial insulation contractor. Uh, by that, I mean that we do the kind of fiberglass insulation, if you've seen that in uh, homes, uh, both existing houses, and we do it in uh, new constructions. Uh, Commercial-wise, we do like pipe insulation, so it gets a little boring, but long story short, we keep cold pipes cold without dripping, hot pipes hot without burning anybody or losing energy. And we do the same for uh, air conditioning systems and even in the uh, oil and gas industry as well. Wow, that is a lot. And it seems like what, you know, what you've been telling me off air, you guys have been really busy this year. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so um, you kind of have seen my growth as my best friend. You've seen me as a struggling new business owner and now you're seeing me busy, but you know, adult life happens and you don't really understand how busy we are. So just off the bat, I can tell you a week we're doing, you know, several thousand feet and of, of piping. And we, we've just grown to a point to where we're doing several uh, new track home communities, uh, residentially speaking, and as well as uh, just factories. We're doing new factories as well. You do homes, you do factories, you do manufacturing facilities basically anything that needs to be insulated correct yeah i mean for spring i was at a refinery in louisiana for most of it how's the food about out there by the way uh spicy but you get over it i mean everything you imagine the south is that's exactly what it's like well that's one no person's surprises. opinion right we'll, <laughs> we'll respect that lovely people yeah i mean so southern hospitality is a thing then well, that's a real thing everybody says good morning and everybody's willing to lend you a hand nice Okay, so let's uh, get into talking about the early days. Tell us about the early days. How did the idea come around? Why RAM? I mean, that one's kind of obvious, but why RAM? The memories, the feelings that you remember having at the time. How, tell us about that. So my dad worked in this industry since the early 2000s. I mean, we're talking about beginning of Y2K. I remember my dad, you know, working in it when he was... I don't know, 20 something, the early twenties coming home and just, you know, being tired. He, he's always been a really hardworking guy. So he was in it for several years, almost two decades when uh, he started getting a little bit more into, you know, building his own clientele. People liked what he did. They realized that his boss at the time wasn't the guy that was the most knowledgeable in the field. In reality, it was my, my dad. And from there, you know, my dad just started kind of doing little side jobs. I graduated high school uh, being a person that wanted to be an artist 
surprisingly enough, I wanted to be a muralist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was my dream job. I wanted to be a muralist, you know, live in a Volkswagen bus, a hippie van, but um, not in a lazy way. I knew I wanted to, you know, go global as a muralist. But the summer after graduation, I remember going to work for my dad's boss because that's kind of what I had always done. But the company had just been uh, taken over by the supervisor and he and his sons turned it into a very un, un inviting place to work at, mm, to say I the see. least. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've never been a fan of the idea of working for somebody else, but in that environment, it was rough. It was really rough. And that's everything from like racism to, you know, saying harsh words to the employees and letting them know that where else could they go? If they lost this job, I didn't like seeing that. It's never been my my thing to talk down on people like that or punch down on them. And I, I didn't appreciate witnessing that, especially those words being directed to my father. Wow, that was that must have been really hard. So that's the early days of the business, right? That's what started it yeah. all. That's kind of the, the to preface how the business went into its, that. you know, birth. Right, right. Of course. So from from struggle comes success, right? And uh, what, why don't we talk about also your upbringing? I think that's very important. Definitely has something to do with you going down this journey. Yeah. So um, I, you know, to those that don't know me and are listening to this podcast, I'm a first gen- generation immigrant. My parents did bring me here um, when I was a, a toddler. Uh, I did get raised in the U.S., but I was born in Mexico. And uh, both of my parents came into this country with not a single dollar in, the, in their pockets, Kind of the narrative for most LA Latino immigrants. My father and my mom, they 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 started working at like factories and they did everything they could to to work hard. And my dad never listened to the pack. He never wanted to live in an apartment. He never wanted to just say, as long as I can make enough for rent this month, I'll be okay. That's never been my dad's mo. Uh, my dad's upbringing was, you know, kind of like Great Depression mind, mindset mm, where. Yeah. If there's a dollar to be made, there's a dollar, dollar to, to be, be had, s- you know, to save. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, I saw that I witnessed that as a kid. So being, you know, a poor uh, immigrant uh, child, I remember that uh, like parents couldn't afford a lot of things. Uh, most of my toys were from like the Goodwill, Salvation Army, stuff like that. Never got the latest toys. Wait, uh, you had toys? <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It was, it was hard. It was a really hard life. Um, but even then, like I witnessed my father go from that, from a, a 19 year old father, teenage dad with no money in his pocket, not knowing a language to a person that now happily lives in a home where his net worth has now shot past the million dollar mark, which is astounding to me just on a personal level. That's that's where his wealth is at, and I'm I'm really proud to see that. So that's kind of the example that was given to me by my parents: is hard work, but hustle harder, uh, hustle smarter, not harder. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I like that. When it comes to being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, I can never pronounce that word right. Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Jeez, <laughs> tongue twister. When it comes to that, would you say that's something that was instilled in you? Was that something that you kind of now looking back, you feel like it was always inside of you or was that like an, a learned skill? So fun fact, um, I was, uh, you know, I had 
ADHD before it was a common known thing or when, before people, you know, started self-diagnosing themselves um, in this generation. <laughs> and um, since I was brought up being the weird kid, I was always like a distracted person. I always dreamt of bigger and better. Bigger and better was always something I thought about, whether it was anything. And um, my dad didn't have that problem, but he was a person that always dreamt big. That's the mindset that he gave me. I would see him do what a lot of people do, couch flipping. Um, he was doing that before OfferUp was a thing. Nice. <laughs> he was buying uh, furniture at the swap meet and reselling it to people locally that you know uh, would need a certain piece of furniture and he would resell it for a profit. I saw him do that. I saw him use the envelope method to buy his first house with a $12,000 down payment. Wow. In 2002, I want to say, 2003. And then from there... You know, I saw that example. And like I said, I grew up very poor. So because of that, I couldn't have a lot of nice things. And when I needed something, I said, okay, what can I do? And I remember in middle school and later in elementary school, I would fix people's bikes. I would repaint people's bicycles. Uh, when the skinny jean era started, for those of you that are, you know, Gen Zs. The millennials. <laughs> no, the Gen Zs. Um, oh, yeah, because they don't know about that. Yeah, skinny jeans were not an item you could go and buy at the store. <laughs> Uh, so what I would actually do for a lot of a lot of people my age was I learned how to sew and I would sew regular, you know, boot cut jeans into mm -hmm. skinny jeans. That's and, awesome. I, you know, ten dollars <laughs> a, a pair of jeans blossomed into a good profit yeah. after several people. And I think the most successful story I have of my little entrepreneuring uh, adventures as a as a young kid was selling candy at school. Ah, you were one of those guys. I was one of those guys. And uh, I had my own system worked out where uh, I knew I was going to get caught. I went to a school that was uh, more predominantly on the um, affluential white America side. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, Mexican candy was kind of a novelty. Ah, okay. <laughs> so I would go to my corner liquor store. They would sell me a bag of about 50 of those spicy watermelon lollipops. Nice. For $5. Mm -hmm. And I would sell a lollipop for about 75 cents a pop. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so you got a pack. How much was in a pack? 50 lollipops. 50 lollipops for $5. Yes. And you sold each one for 75 cents. Yeah. Dude, that's an that's amazing profit margin. That's more than a 600% margin. markup. Yeah. Because <laughs> nobody else knew where to get the stuff. So I was making, you know, really good money and everything I, everything I would buy, I would go back to my neighborhood and take those profits and buy more candy. And that's where I kind of learned how to reinvest into what's making you money. Nice. Those are the, the early days. I did get caught. Thankfully, I, the student store would change my change into dollar bills. So all they confiscated was like $7 worth of quarters. <laughs> <laughs> got you, got you. So when you were doing that, would you say that was probably the start of like, ooh, like I, I have a knack for being able to make money? Yeah, exactly. And like I said, growing up as, as the weird kid, I always had, an, unfortunately, this innate problem with authority, I would say. So it still does. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and because of that, th that issue, I didn't like being told what to do. It, it gave me a lot of stress as, as a young person. Mm. So when I realized that, hey, like even in something as dumb, I guess you could say as candy, you can make good money. I mean, I bought myself like a $400 fixie with that money. Mm -hmm. When I realized I could make that kind of money doing my own thing with something like candy, I thought, what could I do at the time with art? No, uh, how could okay. I make expensive art? Let's talk a little more about that, about the art, because you mentioned you wanted to be a muralist. I've seen your, your artwork and, and you'll still do it from time to time. Did you have any success? I mean, relatively, you know, relative success when you did it as a teenager? 
I did. Um, I would get I would get paid to do little commission pieces. I mean, you got to understand this was before you could iMessage someone a gift that said I love you. <laughs> so yeah. the the cute or heartfelt thing to do for a lot of young teenage couples was to do a little art piece for them. And I would get commissioned to do those, you know, like, would you go out with me or prom question mark? I did a lot of um, just even people that just wanted their name graffitied. I, I was really into graffiti. And the most I ever made as a teenager for a commission piece was about $300. Wow. And you were like, how old by then? I was 16. Dude. So you were 16. That was 2010. back in. Yeah. 300 bucks was a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you felt like Jeff Bezos in 2010 yeah. <laughs> with the hundred bucks, with 300 bucks. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So your base clientele was people who wanted to give their significant other like a little little something, something. Yeah, and people that just wanted their name out there as like a graffiti piece or something like that. That's awesome. I'm, I met a couple of like other Mickeys growing up who would do that as well. I, I never realized it was that, you know, that successful. Though. That's That's really cool. Yeah, there's some money in it. All right, so let's see. What else can we talk about here? We've talked about how RAM insulation got started or where it kind of sparked from, right? Yeah. Uh, tell us a little more about that as far as what was like the final straw for you and your dad that was like, you know what, we, we can't keep doing this. We got to do our own thing. And everything that comes with a business, like I'm sure there was a lot that you didn't know that you had to figure out uh, as far as like the day-to-day things from business so tell us about that let's start with with that story of what was the last straw for you guys sure so like you like you've heard so far in the podcast as a kid was distracted had problems with authority my dad was a hard-working person who inspired me my whole family does inspire me but my dad was the one out on the field doing this really really demanding uh physical labor and the final straw for me was when i started working there in 2012 I would see my boss, the new owner of the company, yell at my father in front of other people. Oh, man. It was one of those things where it's like, Dad, you were an immigrant, but you have all of your legal paperwork now. Uh, You know, you're a hardworking person. You take care of all the aspects of the business. You're not just a, a labor person. You're a salesman. You get the jobs. You know, you measure everything out, plan jobs or projects out for this boss of yours. And he still has the goal to yell at you and humiliate you in front of people. That's absolutely terrible. It was it was infuriating. And he tried to do that to me a couple of times and I would always talk back. And it was always like I was known as, as the, the smart guy, the smart aleck uh. in the company um, because I was terrible at doing the job. I've never been good at doing what I sell to other people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never say I was the best insulation uh, uh, installer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I learned... While there, I was there, I was a shopkeeper. I learned how to measure um, the material out, how to, you know, uh, propose projects. Okay. I, I learned that on the job nice. while, while kind of seeing what it took money-wise to do every project on the labor and the material side. So I just, I would take mental notes. And like I said, when I saw that this new boss was just going to keep, keep mistreating my father, I said, I said, you know what? No, let me, not that I left my art dreams aside, but I said, I, I need to stop dreaming for myself and I need to start dreaming for my family. And that's when Ram Insulation started. I always tell people the first logo I drew for our company, I drew it on a napkin on my break in that company. That's so cool. Do you still have that? I don't have that napkin anymore. I don't uh, know what happened to that'd it. That'd be such a cool little like thing to put on the wall. Oh my goodness. If I could have a museum uh, with that on display, I would. 
Um, I still remember drawing the logo and putting Ram insulation on there. Mm-hmm. And the boss's son saw that and he laughed himself into his office. Wow. <laughs> Some people. Who's laugh. laughing now, though? Who's laughing now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. So, I mean, like I said in the beginning, Ram insulation sounds kind of obvious. Why? But please, for those of us that haven't figured it out yet. So, actually, Ram insulation started off as an acronym. Um, my mom's name is Raquel. Father's name is Adolfo, Adolf, for those that speak English. And my name is Miguel or Mickey. So you put those three letters together and makes the word Ram. Ram. And it so happens to be the beginning of your last name, too. It just happens to be the first three letters of our last name. So we took that. um, We didn't want to do Ramirez insulation or anything like that. Because unfortunately, trades like landscaping or something like that kind of get an unfortunate connotation of this is cheaper because it's a Latin-owned business. Right. So Because yeah, it's an immigrant doing the job, yeah. Exactly. So let's stray away from that and, you know, let's let's be sincere with ourselves about what the climate is like in the construction world and let's understand that we got to do something that really sounds professional right off the bat mm-hmm. to everybody, every demographic. Yeah, and I mean, RAM really has an impact, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, awesome. All right, so that's that's how that went about. And then as far as the business goes, what were some things that you remember that you were like, oh, damn, I have no idea what I'm doing. And like, what the heck does this even mean? What? Why do I need that, you know, legal document or whatever? What, what, were, what were some things that you, when you first started, you were like, oh my goodness, what's going on? What do I do? So the reason a lot of people like branch off from companies and then they end up crawling back into a a nine to five again is because they don't have the schooling to understand a lot of the terminology and the uh, requirements to work for uh, new clients. And that was a thing for us. So we started off doing unlicensed work. It was a terrifying feat. Um, My father actually got fired for doing side jobs. So we just had to jump right into getting clients, getting clients. Yeah. Yeah. And so my dad didn't speak very good English, and he still managed to get his contractor's license. Nice. Got licensed as a contractor because I was still too young. I was only 19. And then from there, I remember going to different places, and they, they would ask us for paperwork, such as uh, uh, general liability insurance. Mm-hmm. They would ask us for workers' compensation insurance. They'd ask us for commercial automobile insurance. Oh, my gosh. Things like that that it was just like wait, what's all this, right? (laughs) You would think that just your regular insurance and, you know, that bond that you buy for like 50 bucks a year would be enough, and it was not. But like I said, I always dreamt big. So when I would go and I promote my business to uh, other companies, I would always go for the big guys. It was, you know, the small jobs came, they went, but for me, the bigger game was the goal. Mm. So the bigger I wanted to go, the more demanding they got with the paperwork. And they would ask these questions. I would I would go into sit down meetings, and they would let you know they would tell us what their expectations were. And here's this 19 year old kid, covered in acne, <laughs> <laughs> freaking out because he doesn't know anything. You know, I'd hear these terms from these business people, and I had to keep kind of a, a straight face, a, jo- a poker face, and just watch them talk, and from the context, kind of understand what they were talking about. Yeah, do my best to fake it. Till I made it. Yeah. And um, I don't recommend that to everybody. It's not the best way to go about things. But thankfully, you know, we, we managed to, through t- over time, understand uh, 
how paperwork worked. Yeah. Although it was not easy. <laughs> and it's a very, very scary thing. Yeah. I mean, now I could start to understand what you're talking about there because I'm also starting a new venture and it's so many different type of legal documents and paperwork and insurance for this, insurance for that. And I mean, I could only imagine like it's only going to get harder from here. At some point, I assume it gets easier. Please tell me it gets easier at some point. It gets easier when you get, when you start being comfortable with what you've got. And that's not a bad thing. Some people like being comfortable where they're at. Some people are uncomfortable being comfortable. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, it gives me some hope, so thank you. Yeah. All right, now, when you first started, how, how much were you guys making a month? What was your gross income, if you will? <laughs> gross income is right. Um it was gross, wasn't it? It was gross. It was it was very sad to see. So my dad had a good paying job with this old boss. And then we went from that to clawing and trying to find work. And sales were maybe at about $500 a month. What? For the first year. And that you, was, that was could, a good month. That was a good, oh man, that was a good month. Yeah, it got bad. Like my, we all depleted our savings accounts. Uh, we were losing the house and had to get mortgage assistance from the state of California, it, it got really bad because that's how that's how you you start off when you get thrown into being your own boss. It wasn't like we planned it out. It was just like, hey, you know, you're fired and now we have to figure things out on our own. That's how it started. Man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that must have been some very tough times for you guys. Super tough. Like I said, if we just made enough for groceries, that was that was good enough. What do you remember thinking to yourself during the, that time? I just thought, you know, there's got to be a, a light at the end of this tunnel. I didn't know how long the tunnel was going to be. I just, you know, the the one driving thing has always kind of been my family. And I just thought, you know what? I don't ever want my mom to keep cleaning rich people's houses on her knees, you know, inhaling Clorox all day. And I don't want my father growing old for some ungrateful boss. So there's got to be a way out of this. There has to be. Gotcha, gotcha. As far as uh, how you were feeling and, and all that, you said you that you knew that there was a light at the end of the tunnel, but you didn't know how far ahead. Would you consider yourself an optimistic, a realistic, pessimistic? I highly doubt you're a pessimistic, but no. what do you consider yourself? I'm optimistic um, and I'm an opportunist. But for me, the, the most shocking thing was that my parents believed in me enough to actually keep going with it. Oh, that's very helpful. Because yeah. any grown-ups who have their teenage or the their success of the family riding on its, the teenage son's shoulders, it's like you're either crazy or this guy must be the next Einstein. Because <laughs> you know, right? And I was neither. <laughs> oh man, kudos to your parents for doing that. Yeah, because I mean, it's unheard of. <laughs> yeah, it really. Yeah, I, you don't hear that a lot. It's usually the parents, which in their own right they do. You could say they have more experience in life. They know more. But a lot of the times I've noticed, you know, and I've seen it firsthand how a kid has an idea and the parent is like, ah, there's no money in that. Like, don't do that. Yeah. Or it's like, yeah, like, but you're probably going to give up on it and like blah, blah, blah. And that's terrible. I had a lot of friends growing up where they had a dream, you know, whatever. Even if it was a vague dream, like I said, they wanted to be their own boss. And it was always find a good job, mm. you know, find a safe job with a 401k plan. And work there until the pension starts. And that's it. Yeah. And which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either. Nothing wrong with that. Right? But that was, a, I mean, in, in you got to understand, coming from 
a country with no opportunity, a corporate job that pays you a decent salary, gives you a suburban house and, you know, a steady paycheck until you're old and gray is the dream. It's very attractive. And yeah. and that's fine. Honestly, like, like I said, I mean, people, people that I know in Mexico would kill for the opportunity to be here and do just that. Right. Even if it's at a lower tier, uh, quote unquote, lower tier job. Right, right. That's the dream. And I cannot criticize that because honestly, if you made, if you'd made yourself or turned yourself into that uh, employee after leaving a country with desperate circumstances, kudos to you that you're already winning at life. Yeah. Don't please don't take it as me talking down on that lifestyle. Right. Yeah. Glad you cleared that up. Yeah, no, definitely. But again, my father always wanted more. He's always been go. He's always been go big or go home. Nice. I love that. Are you sure he's not from Texas? (laughs) (laughs) The Texas of Mexico. Yeah. The Texas of Mexico. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Now, what would you say has been the sourest experience that you've had now being, you know, a business owner and I'm sure you have plenty of those kinds of stories that right? you have. Uh, you've been at the business for what? Almost 10 years now or almost 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Since 2013. There you go. What would you say is one of the most terrible, most sour experiences that you've personally had so far? So f- at the beginning of the, cu- uh, of the business, I remember, like I said, my father got fired for wanting to do his own thing. And it wasn't like, Hey, you know what? Work here until you got a, got your, uh, got your feet wet in, in the industry and then you can quit when you're, when you feel you're successful enough. It was like, no, you either work for us or you don't work at all. And they gave him that ultimatum and he somehow took that route of supporting me and, and being our own business. And from there, my boss was relentless in taking us down. Ooh. He would go to the supply houses and tell them not to sell to us. Um, he managed to do that at one place um, here in commerce. Uh, they, they, to this day, they will not give us an account. Wow. Yeah. Do you want to put them on blast right now? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no. You don't have to. <laughs> uh, I've, I've grown past that. They know okay. who they are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're listening out there. We you're know listening. who you are. You're listening. And uh, they went to different factories telling them, hey, if they approach you, giving you their business cards or whatever, do not give them work. Wow. They're this, they're that, they're a dishonest, everything you can imagine. They, they try to defame us everywhere. And the funny part was... We couldn't get past the guard gates in most of those factories, mm. and they served as our best marketing strategy. Really? Yes. <laughs> How they, so? They didn't know it, but they would they would tell these uh, plant managers, "Hey, don't don't give them work. Uh, one of our guys went rogue. Don't give him any work because he's not honest." Mm-hmm. And these guys knew my dad; they had known him for fifteen plus years. Yeah. And my dad would get a phone call from these plant managers and be like, "Hey, we heard you started your own business." Yeah you know, what do you guys need from us so we can get you in here as a vendor? Let's get started. Let's give you some work. Oh, that's beautiful. And it was always like, yeah, your boss, Brian told Mm. us that you had gone and done your own job or company. (laughs) (laughs) So that ended up biting them in the butt. It blew up in their faces completely. Their take us down or stomp us down while we're small strategy turned into the biggest marketing strategy in history for us. That's awesome. And then, okay. So maybe explain that part a little bit so that, the listeners can understand as an insulation company, you know, the ba- the basic steps that you have to take to actually do a job. Sure. Uh, to be a contractor. So what we have to do is we actually have to, you know, have a, a bigger, uh, another contractor, be it an air conditioning company uh, or like a pipe company or a general contractor have a project somewhere. Mm-hmm. They need us to, you know, insulate whatever they've got. 
I've got to go there. I've got to go ahead and measure everything up. I got to give a price. And then if the price is good, then we go ahead and sign the paperwork and the project is ours. All right. And then as far as actually getting the material and all that? Getting the material, we have to, you know, depending on what materials we're using, it either has to be fabricated or if it just comes from a factory somewhere, then we just go ahead and buy it at one of our supply houses and, and install it. Do you guys ever make anything in-house? We do make a lot of stuff in-house. Oh, tell us about that. Yeah, so we actually um, began making like removable insulation covers for everything from exotic vehicles, exhausts, so people don't get burnt, um, to just acoustic uh, enclosures or acoustic kind of boxes Mm -hmm. for uh, compressors that make a lot of noise at factories. Nice. Yep. And is that something that was already in this in the, uh, the industry or is that something that you guys came up with on your own? It was already in the industry, but like everything, we just started becoming that one-stop shop. Gotcha, gotcha. There's no other contractor like us that, that does everything from residential to the most hardcore industrial insulation. Yeah. You're either residential, you're either commercial, or you're, you're just industrial. There's no one-stop shop. Gotcha. And that's what you guys have created here. That's what we've created, yeah. Nice. All right, so that was one of experience that you mentioned earlier that was terrible. I'm sure you have a lot. Would you like to share one more that was pretty impactful for you? Sure. So last year, for those you know that haven't followed the company's trajectory, is we were doing really good up until 2019. 2019 was a year where things started going downhill financially for us, and this was pre-COVID. But then when okay. COVID-19 hit, it got even harder for us. Yeah. That March was just a devastating blow to our business i had the amazing opportunity from a contractor that actually went and knocked on their door uh their project manager reached out to me and told me that they had a huge project in arizona whoa okay that's random (laughs) amazing though because it was an amazing uh opportunity they gave me the drawings the 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 blueprints if you will Mm -hmm. and it turned out to be more than half a million dollars worth of work wow which was like okay, that's a lot of money for one single job for us. Right. It was an amazing opportunity, especially because we, you know, we were suffering so much financially. We, we went ahead, we ran the numbers, we took care of everything, and we had been awarded the job. Uh-huh. They gave us a, an intent to award, a, a notice of intent, it's called. And we thought we were going to get this job, we were going to save our business this way, and things were going to go swimmingly after that. Yeah. The issue with that is, and what a lot of people don't know is that uh, insulation is a very corrupt industry. Mm. There's a lot of corruption. And one competitor that had this company as their client found out that we had bid on this project and we were about to win it. Yeah. So he starts storming into the supply houses that gave us pricing for this project and starts telling them or threatening them. How so? He goes in, uh, starts cursing people out, saying, you know... FRAM, uh, who are these people and, you know, why did you guys give them pricing? And just threatening the people that worked at the supply houses verbally. Uh, it's crazy. Trust me, these people, these companies can get very power hungry and very territorial. Uh, but next thing I know, a couple of days later, I get an email from that project manager saying, uh, thank you for your time, but we are going to go ahead with X company. What? The same company that was barging into supply houses, threatening people. Wow. The sad or crazy part about that was that uh, that same week, uh, somebody that I know that works for that company yeah, ran into me and he had like a weird look on his face. And I said, hey, what's going on? Are you good? And he said, I just witnessed something super corrupt that my boss did. And I'm pretty sure it has to do with the fact that you guys didn't get that Arizona job. 
Wow. And I found out the full scoop and it was like, wow. It was a, a devastating blow for us. We thought all hope was lost because this was our big shot. Yeah, this was going to be your make it moment, right? The big make it moment. Wow. So how did you guys recover from that or what happened next? So what happened next is I went into overdrive. I, I started driving to different uh, contracting companies, handing out. I, I created some folders on Adobe Illustrator. And I made hundreds of them and I would pass them out. Out of 100 folders that I would hand out, I'd get one or two positive responses. Yeah, that's but how it tends to go, yeah. That's how it tends to go. And out of those two positive responses, it was like, hey, let's do this job. You know, here, 20,000 here, 40,000 here, 60,000 there. Before I knew it, by the end of the year, I had made exactly what I was supposed to make with this with this one project from this uh, client that unfortunately didn't give us the job. Right. Oh, man. Well, that's good. It just that's went into survival mode, I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah. And had to make it work somehow, right? Had to. Let's move past the sour stuff. Let's get into the sweet. The <laughs> sweetness. The, how does uh, Nacho Libre say? Uh, uh, I forgot what he the says. The nitty-gritty. The nitty-gritty, yes. <laughs> the good stuff. What's been one of like the best stories or one of the best stories that you can tell to the audience that you've had throughout this journey now for almost 10 years so the best recent story that i've had is actually the fact that you know last year was supposed to be the year that did us in last year mm. was supposed to be the year that really just took us down especially with that with that bad experience but right. this year we were it was not looking good and things just got crazy busy things got insanely busy before I knew it, I had the opportunity to bid on a big project at the California Science Center. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's cool. For you, those of you that don't know, it's actually free, and it's a beautiful museum for all ages. Uh, but we went there, and the crazy part was my ex-boss's company was there, and every competitor, you name them, they were there. All the big guys. <laughs> and it was us. It was Graham there as the oddball out. Oh, man. And we walked the job. Um you know, the person that I sent to measure everything said that nobody really had anything to say. But before I knew it, it was narrowed down to two contractors. Let me guess. It was not me and my boss. Oh. They had already been ruled out. That would have been that would have been so cool. That would have been cool, right? Total total uh -huh. movie moment. I think uh, Brad Pitt would have probably played my uh, character yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the remake. But um, no, it was actually me and another one of the big guys from that big group of contractors. So we sat down, we talked to every everybody that was in charge at that project. I didn't have anything to say about that guy. He didn't have anything to say about me. But of course, the tension and the, the bad vibes were there. Yeah. They went ahead and did a virtual meeting about who was going to get the project. Oh, okay. And they said, Ram Insulation has been awarded the project. Oh. I took down all the major players in, in, that, in that project. Wow. You were like, let me, I'll be right back. Put them on mute and like, woo! exactly i just i did a happy dance i was in the <laughs> i was in the middle of lunch with my parents when i heard the news and it was just it was i lost my mind it was such a blessing and although it's not the biggest project i've ever had you know it was just amazing to see that this is this is how far we've come you know we're not getting jobs because we're the cheapest guy out there we're not getting jobs because we're lowballing projects we're getting jobs because we're there and we're and we're, we got a system in place and we've got a, a trusted team of foremen and supervisors that can that can take a job, finish it all the way through, and we've made a good reputation for ourselves. All without taking away the quality, too, of the work. Exactly. No shady stuff, no corrupt business, just business. 
Wonderful. Dude, I'm so happy for you. And that story, oh, gave me a little chills. <laughs> Might be the AC. No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah, it was definitely the story. The AC is blowing ice cold, though. It is, it is. <laughs> so what else? Uh, tell us about then that uh, the your biggest job so far. So our biggest job so far is actually um, this contract. I guess you could call them a contractor. They actually manufacture um, oil and gas tanks. I guess you could say the, the, the parts of processing crude oil, turning them into liquefied natural gas and other petrochemical products. Okay. They were a company that I was trying to get my foot in the door with for years. I would get, I would go to their warehouse. I would go to their offices and they'd be like, Hey, you can't be here. Hey, what, can we help you? Yeah. And it was like their vendor, their contractor was actually my old boss's brother-in-law. Oh my goodness. Which was that, another contractor. Yeah. yeah. It's like you keep, Somehow crossing paths with them. That's it's, it's a fistful of people that are in this industry. That's why it's so corrupt because the few that are there, gotcha. they want to keep a chokehold on the industry. Mm. So I, I would go in there and they'd say, no, we've been working with this contractor for 35 years. We're not breaking this, uh, this bond. Mm-hmm. Long story short, they had gotten careless. They grew careless. And there was finally an opportunity for me to put my foot in the door. Did something go wrong in the job? With something went wrong with something they did. Oh they started God. going cheap and buying Home Depot uh, products. No, no offense, Home Depot. Home Depot <laughs> products and putting them in something that's going to be in a refinery that could blow up if you do the insulation wrong. Ooh. These these things get really hot. And yeah. if you use subpar products, people's lives are at risk. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need to tell you to YouTube refinery explosions. It happens in literally a flash. Yeah. And hundreds of people can die. And it's not something that can be taken lightly. Uh, and the this contractor just grew careless, just didn't didn't take it into mind anymore, didn't think quality anymore. It was just these guys had become their their goose that laid golden eggs. Okay. Yeah, and and we had got we had been given the opportunity to bid on something uh, and replace them. And if I'm honest, at the beginning, that first job, I lowballed it. I lowballed it because I wanted to prove that we could do a better job. Okay. And it sounds counterintuitive. It's it goes against everything that I could advise anybody else to do. But these guys were the big shot. Mm. These guys were the money shot. Yeah. And when I did that, I actually ended up getting interviewed by their inspectors mm-hmm. asking me if I knew European standards. What? <laughs> it was a three-hour long interview. Oh, man. I read up on thousands of pages of details, manuals, everything, just so I could be knowledgeable during that, in, that uh, interview. And the sad part was that the previous contractor, just because he was European, he never got that interview. Wow! They he they literally they, just walked him into the door into the door. They just assumed that he knew. They just whatever. assumed that he knew, and I wow. had to do all this research, which is you know unfair, but we'll we'll call it just another obstacle. Just another obstacle, right? Yeah, yeah. And once we got our foot in the door, and we did exactly what they were asking for, and then more. So their client called them to let them know they had never seen anything like it, and the inspectors themselves said that they had never seen workmanship like that. <laughs> that was it. Now it's no longer a project. It's actually several projects, but let's put it this way. I have my own toolbox at that warehouse. Yeah. Our guys are always busy there. And this year we're expected to make just from, just from that one contract, one uh, contact alone, close to a million dollars in sales. Wow. That is absolutely crazy, man. Yeah. <laughs> just from me just- doing everything I could to just remind them that I existed. Even if even if it took years, I said, I'm not going to let up. You are going to give me the job 
one way or another. One day or another. Yeah, one day. Man, so one that day. persistence. Paid off. Mind you, I mean, you've got to have 30 to 40 clients to make a good year, at least a job per week, right? Mm-hmm. And this is just one of the clients that I've got now that's like that. So this, with this one contact, with this one client, compared to previous years, like how much of the income do, do they kind of 100%. cover? 100%. Oh, wow. A hundred percent. Wow. Okay, great. Yeah. So you, I mean, that must be a great feeling because you, you know that you can at least make that much this year, right? Yeah. I, let's say no other, no other clients call me, which isn't happening. Jobless. Uh, no <laughs> other clients are calling me and these guys are the only ones there. They will be more than enough for me to make all my payments on time, pay all my guys, promote all my guys, give them their bonuses and still walk away with a nice chunk of change. I love that, man. That's so inspiring and motivational. And I know you guys are just like, I think you guys are just starting like to really exponentially grow because all this time it was kind of looking for that one, that one shot that was going to, you know, propel you to the next level. Yeah. Cause like I said, I mean, some people you're going to, on this podcast, you're probably going to interview people that made it big the first two years, first three years. And that's great. Because they, they managed to get into a, a industry that has those opportunities. Our niche is a niche. It's Yeah, it's a very... You know, even yeah. on Instagram, the organic growth has been a little painful and steady. But it's been there. Um, and money-wise, same thing. I mean, that project being stolen away in a corrupt way, it's not the first time it's happened. It's the biggest blow. Oh, it's not. Okay. It's not the first time it's happened. So it's just... this These last 10 years has been fighting our way through it. But now we've created enough of a repert- of a repertoire to where potential new clients are no longer listening to these corrupt individuals rumors and they're saying hey you've made a name for yourself here yeah i want you showing up to my my factory my to my new job site yeah maybe a million dollars in sales from one client isn't impressive to some people that are much more successful in their own industry but from the kind of experiences that i've had in this industry the corruption i've had to fight it's uh, for me I, I feel like it's nothing but net for 2022 yeah it sounds like <laughs> it it's awesome now i think we've covered quite a bit yeah and we've heard the sweet the sour and everything in between i'm excited for what you guys do or Thank i'm you. excited for what you guys will do in the future uh i know you, you know, we've talked off the air and you have a lot of big ideas a lot of big dreams um you're very environmentally conscious and i know you have goals in that area as well definitely do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah so um we work with a lot of polyurethanes and just plastics in general it's an it's an unfortunate part of uh, our industry but from that i've actually had the opportunity to start contacting um, people that make uh, roller skate and skateboard wheels Hmm. Okay, what does that have to do with your with insulation? They take the the residue or the leftover urethanes and plastics from our from our projects, and oh. they they're thinking of turning them into or repurposing them into you know skateboard and roller skate. That skateboards. is so cool, dude. So every little scrap that's left over has a new purpose in life. Wonderful. Instead of ending up in the landfill right away. Yeah, yeah. So it's a step in the right direction. We can Definitely. do better. Um, I'm in talks with a cannabis or a hemp. Uh, insulation manufacturer mm-hmm. they're uh, finding sustainable ways to uh, create house and building insulation with with cannabis with cannabis with hemp yeah that's cool 
So I think I've actually seen a video about that. It's more like fire resistant, right? Yeah, it's fire resistant. It's it's uh, like I said, it's sustainable. And uh, I think, like anything in any industry, we can do better than what we're currently doing. You know, we can be more earth earth friendly, earth conscious, and sustainable. So I would love to be the first contractor that really gets that uh, gets to that point. Yeah, in the industry, I think you guys honestly are going to be the ones to bring that and be for that to be the like the norm. For, for like Jack Ma said, you don't have to be the best. You just have to be the first. There you go. <laughs> and yeah. um, we uh, have already started transitioning into all electric vehicles. We have cyber trucks on order. And we plan to be the first uh, insulation contractor in, in California that is all electric. Nice. So no smog coming from Ram. There you go. What about bigger picture from here? Like five, let's, let's start with five years from now. What does Ram insulation look like? then so ram insulation is not a contractor that wants to fall in line with other contractors and end up advertising themselves 50 years from now saying they've been around forever okay ram insulation is my baby but it's an ever-evolving thing yeah it's an ever-evolving thing that has now sponsored or been a donor to other business ventures that i've got going on can't say much but we're focused on the future Okay. We're focused on the future and we are getting ready to disrupt the insulation industry. By that, I mean, we're just, we're taking technology to a whole new level All and incorporating right. it into, into insulation on a scale never seen before. What's that hashtag? Find the sleeping giant. There you go. Look for that hashtag. Man, okay, it sounds like you guys got something brewing there. Oh, we got something big going on. All right. And uh, although I'm not, you know... I don't own several companies or anything. My focus is to turn this business into the future of the construction industry as a whole. That's, that's the goal. That's a wonderful goal. That's the end game is to just Ram be a household name for innovation and just progress. And craftsmanship. Craftsmanship yeah. is is key, yes. Well, that is an amazing, amazing story several stories that you gave us today. Thank you so much for that. I'd like to finish the podcast on a high note (laughs) because we covered a lot of sour stuff in the beginning. (laughs) What would you say is a song that is the current soundtrack to your life right now? For me, you had to choose one for me. It's glorious by Macklemore. Big shout out to Macklemore. (laughs) When I first heard the song, it's just saying, you know, I'm back. Like I never left. Like I said, we hit rock bottom in 2020. We're almost gone or eliminated from the from the race in 2021. And now we're back with a vengeance. You know I'm back like I never left. I never left. Another sprint. Another step. Another step. Another day. Another breath. Another breath. Been chasing dreams, but I never slept. I never slept. I got a new attitude and at least on life is a peace of mind. Seeking to find I can sleep when I die. And like I said, we, we went from making $500 a month in sales in 2013 to now heading into the multi-million dollar business arena. And I couldn't be happier. It's not a, it's not a numbers game. It's not about the money. It's the fact that I've been able to give my mom and dad health insurance. It's the fact that I've been able to uh, lean into paying off their house. It's the fact that I've been able to help so many people change so many lives with the money that I've made from this business. And knowing that I can make more only gives me a focus as to how many lives I can change from here on out. So I feel glorious. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's beautiful, man. I really, really vibe with that. 
Well, Mickey, it's been an absolute honor to do this with you. I don't know why we never thought about doing this sooner. I love this. This is great. <laughs> I mean, we always kind of ramble. Ramble, yeah. <laughs> us, like regardless of having a mic in front of us, but again, thank you for for joining us today. Thank you for being part of this episode of Raspberry Lemonade podcast. I'm excited to see what you do next. Where can people find you on social media? Find me on social media at underscore Ram underscore insulation. Or you can just look up Ram Insulation Inc. There we go. Thank you so much. This has been Levi and Mickey Ram signing off. Stay saucy. Hope you have a good day. Take care. This has been a Redbird Studio production. We hope you enjoyed the program.